Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Landon. And good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? Hey, <laughs> um, hey it's, it's great to see all of your faces. And um, I'm excited this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our series on identity and culture. And before I introduce um, this dear brother in Christ on my left, your right, um, I just to, wanted to kind of pull back a little bit and help give you a perspective at a university level. This conversation regarding identity and culture is something um, that is happening uh, between President Kiriton and our senior uh, leadership team. And it's part of a strategic uh, uh, initiative called the Diversity Inclusion Framework where um, uh, key staff and faculty have been gathering this last year together. And um, we, we've had different workshops um, and developing a cultural competency of recognizing the diverse cultures that are within the world that God loves and how do we uh, live out our identity as followers of Christ in the midst of those diverse cultures and actually be a part of Jesus's prayer that we will one day be one. Uh, we are one body and we will be unified. Um, in the midst of so much division uh, within our culture. And so we've had a number of different workshops uh, over this last six months, and one of which um, uh, this morning's speaker has been a part of helping lead. And so Dr. Ramon Pastrano uh, is the founder and CEO of Impact Lives, and they're designed to assist individuals and organizations in developing new frameworks from where to solve their most challenging problems by critically reflecting not only on themselves, but also the social and cultural, cultural and geopolitical structures as a whole. And uh, Dr. Ramon has a vast global experience. He's lived in Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. He's traveled extensively for leadership engagement and mission efforts throughout the United States, Canada, Europe, Israel, Jordan, India, Palestine, Africa, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Korea, China, Cambodia, Thailand, and Japan, just to name a few. Um, so uh, this dear brother has seen a lot of the diverse world that God loves, and uh, we're excited to have him with us this morning as he uh, speaks into this conversation regarding identity and culture. And so please give a warm Northwestern welcome to Dr. Ramon Pastrano. Thank you, Yeti. And uh, let's pray. Let's pray for him as we, and also for ourselves as he shares with us. So Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can build our life upon Jesus, the cornerstone, that you are love, God. You, God is love, and we thank you that love is truly the foundation upon which um, we are building in this conversation off of, of understanding our identity as your redeemed, beloved, and forgiven sons and daughters, and as we engage in uh, ones who have a culture and engage in a culture, uh, Lord, that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, but to notice and see your image in all cultures, because all cultures are made of, the, of, of your people who are created in your image. And so, Lord, today, we pray that as um, our dear brother, Dr. Ramon, is with us, that you would fill him afresh with your spirit, fill us afresh with your spirit, and help us to lean in with curiosity and humility and a hunger to learn more of how we've been made and recreated in your image and how we display your image in the world around us in love. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for loving us first. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Wow, that whole prayer was just a tremendous framework from where to receive what I'm going to be sharing with you today. This has been an incredible morning for me uh, as I sat in the green uh, room with Justin and some of the students. Uh, we started talking about uh, people that we know, and it's amazing 
how many people we have, you know, uh, in common, you know, that are part of, uh, of our lives and uh, the connections that we have, uh, you know, through churches, people, but also my personal connections in this school. I just happened to be in the same Bible study with President Kirtan. Um, I'm also work with Pam Solvi, which has been leading some of this program. And then I have uh, a member of my family here, Mr. Micah Maeda, which is sitting right in front. So no heckling today, right? So thank you. And uh, it just, you know, it feels like just a little moment first, like I was, I was coming home. So it was great. So thank you for, you know, that welcoming. Uh, today, what I, uh, what I decided to do, really, since you have a, cha a chapel, uh, you attend chapel multiple times a week, what I wanted to do is something a little bit different, and I decided not to go seminary on you. So I am not going to preach a sermon today, but what I want to do is, by way of sharing my own story, I want to share what is going on, what I see, one of the biggest challenges that we are facing as Christian today in our present culture. And then I just want to share some practical applications, simple applications, and perhaps, you know, challenge you in a way that you may not have been challenged before uh, with, by asking you just a couple of questions, just a couple of questions that I hope will give you an opportunity to examine your frame of references, your worldview, and what is it that you actually believe. But first, I would like by, to begin by acknowledging that we are living in a very difficult time. So as a result of globalization, immigration, issues of uh, war and on terrorism, the demographic shifting, the polarization, the political ideologies that we are facing today. Uh, there's so many different uh, Christian denominations preaching very different messages, the confusion that the world is exhibiting. It is critical that Christian leaders must be equipped to lead from a global and contextual approach or perspective. My spiritual life has become very closely intertwined with my work. Uh, those of you who knows me, those of you who have seen uh, some of the work that we do, uh, we are at the intersection of where the city is we are working in, with businesses, with churches, with nonprofit organizations, with different group of people. In fact, I have worked with almost every single ethnic group represented in the Twin Cities. And if you are aware, the Phillips neighborhood, and not too far from here, is the most diversified neighborhood in the whole entire United States per square mile. We have about 198 people groups represented there, and I have the blessing of having worked with most of those groups. But as I interact with those groups, I am coming to the understanding that there's something really, really difficult that is, uh, that, that, that is emerging. We have right now not only our culture that we have to deal with, but we also have a virtual, artificial, alternate world out there that we have to deal with which is our digital world. And that in itself is creating even more problem than what we had in the past. In fact, for you young people, 
I used to tell my son that, uh, you know, growing up in the Dominican Republic, being raised in Puerto Rico, you know, all the hard time that I have to go through, and that those were the real difficult time, but the reality is that I changed my mind. I believe that right now, these are the most difficult time. It is hard to distinguish what is true from what is not. It is hard to distinguish or to discern what is fact from what is opinion, or what is report and what is opinion. And it's all because we don't have a clear image or clear identity of who Jesus is. And we are not projecting that identity ourselves. So as I experience life and church in our culture today and hear Christians talk about their faith and practices, I cannot help but to wonder which God are they worshiping? Who is this Jesus that people are claiming? Is it the same Jesus that I'm worshiping? Is it the same Jesus that you're worshiping? Why aren't we in sync in the way that we think? It is obvious to me that our individual's personal beliefs in God, in Christ, are not in sync. And I wonder which Holy Spirit is guiding them to truth. What, kind of, uh, what type of behavior are we seeing today? And why does behavior run counter to who God is and what Jesus demands of us? Do we understand what Jesus said or what he meant when he said, love one another as I have loved you? Not as you want to, but as I have loved you. If he will not have added those five little words, it will be something different. We can interpret it the way that we want to. But he said, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. As my father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Do we understand what that means? Do we understand how are we filtering those teachings and commands these days? Because right now, the way that I see it, there is a truth problem, there is a love problem, and there is a belief problem. Do we believe what we say that we believe? I hear that word thrown very casually. The word belief appears 49 times in the Gospel of John. And if you add uh, the additive or the words, the words that mean similar things, it could be, you can say that actually it's appeared about 80 times. And I have come to the conclusion that we, we actually do not believe what we say that we believe. Because it's not what you believe, it's what you believe enough that will move you into action. And God is a God of action. God is such a God of action that the word became flesh. It became tangible and entered in our culture. As you heard in the introduction that um, Justin shared, I was born in the Dominican Republic during the USA invasion of 1965. That was just a little bit after the Cuban Missile Crisis. The United States did not want another a similar situation happening in the Caribbean with the Dominican Republic. I grew up in the midst of that war. I grew up in probably one of the most difficult times in our country. We were just coming out of a dictatorship into a new democracy, an invasion, 
And uh, of course, with all of that, hunger and some of these other things that really, you know, are part of, uh, uh, of, uh, of those difficult transitions. We decided that it was probably a better, uh, better for us as a family to move to Puerto Rico. And in Puerto Rico, that's where I was raised. I spent most of my time in Puerto Rico. At 16, I graduated uh, from high school and decided that I wanted to learn English and I wanted to come to the United States of America. I lied to my mother and I said that uh, I have been accepted college in the United States of America, so I was going to forgo my Fulbright scholarship to play basketball in one of the uh, engineering school in Puerto Rico. And she took a $800 loan, bought me a ticket for $600 and gave me $200 so that I can come here to this coast, uh, to the United States. When I landed in New York, it was everything that I expected. Tall building, the Statue of Liberty, lots of people, trains running up and down. And immediately I said to myself, yes, this is exactly where I need to be. This is exactly what I was hoping to be except that I was not going to New York City, I was going to Sioux City, Iowa. <laughs> so if you know Sioux City, Iowa, not to take shot of Iowa, you know, just the minute that you landed, the airport is what? It was cornfield on both sides. For a moment, I thought that my plane has been hijacked into another country. <laughs> and it was shocking. And uh, it was there in Sioux City, Iowa, when I went to school, I went to a Christian school, and I was uh, playing basketball there with other Christian schools, but it was there where I experienced the most aggressive behavior toward people like me. We talked today about microaggressions, but let me tell you about macroaggressions. People used to throw fish on the basketball floor. In fact, let me just tell you first that our basketball team was truly remarkable, was amazing. Uh, half of our basketball team was the Panamanian national team. About six or seven of those guys were drafted into the NBA. And of course, uh, the rest were, you know, people from Puerto Rico, the, uh, and also we had some people from Venezuela. And we had an amazing team, so, you know, of course, it sparked a lot of uh, anger toward us. But not so much that people will actually throw bananas, uh, they call us monkey, they call us a lot of things that were really, you know, really hard. And it was at that moment that I began to, that behavior pushed me to abandon the church and the faith. I want nothing to do with the same people that were doing those things on a regular basis. I didn't want to go to church. So I abandoned my faith. I abandoned my uh, uh, church altogether. And the next 10 years, it was a life without Christ. <clears throat> If we are not, if we are not expressing a Christian life that corresponds to the true image of who God is, we are going to continue to confuse people. If your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you. You're opening yourself to be molded by something else you have much better be an atheist. The last three years, I was challenged, uh, actually the last five years, you know, it was in 2014, I was challenged to not to lean so much on seminary systematic theology and all the seminary work that I did, you know, the 10 years that I spent, you know, uh, studying theology, but to really 
try to connect with Christ, with the real Christ, the Christ of the gospel. So for, th uh, for three years, 2014 to 2017, I stopped reading any other books except the four gospels every day. I will hear the gospel in my car. I will go to sleep listening to the gospels. I will read them on Sunday, day in and day out, listening to it. And it's amazing the things that you find. And the reason that I was challenged with that was because when I was in Malaysia, somebody told me, uh, Ramon, you know Christ intellectually, but I don't think you know Christ experientially or existentially. That was hard. Hard for somebody that was working on his doctoral you know, thesis to hear that from somebody. What that person was telling me, the Christ that you know is here, but the Christ that you should know should be here. So as such, I started spending time reading uh, the gospel, and what I came across was just something really remarkable. A four-letter word that I, I think is the most powerful to me right now, and it's not love. It is the word with, W-I-T-H, with. In Mark 3, a Jesus go to a mountainside, and he called 12 to be with him so that he can send them out. And what that did to me was that it showed me or it revealed to me that in order for me to understand who God was, who Jesus is, and what Jesus demands of me, I have to be with him. And I'm telling you, as I interact with people, with Christians, with non-Christians, all over the Twin City, all over the United States, I see a lot of people talking about Christ. I, think a lot, I see a lot of people representing Christ that actually do not know Christ. They have gone out, but they've never been with him. He chose 12 to be with him. He spent three years with the 12. And if you read the Gospel of John 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 chapter, you will see that even at the end of that time, they still didn't get it. Phillips, don't you know me? If you have been with me, you will know that I and the Father are one. We all talk about the Great Commission, but we can talk about the Great Commission. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission unless we understand what is it that we are called to do. He chose 12 to be with him so that he can impart knowledge to them, so that he can demonstrate to them what they were supposed to do. Jesus talking all the time about what I see my father doing is what I'm doing. And my expectation of you is that what you see me doing is what you should be doing. Are we doing what Jesus is calling us to do? The reason why it's so difficult right now to see the image of Christ in our current culture is because we, Christians, we have participated, we are part of that collection of people that continue to misrepresent the image of Christ. We continue to represent the image, uh, the image of Christ. One thing that I discovered in these three years too 
that the most powerful lies in the world contain 99.999% of the truth. The more a lie resembles a truth, the more difficult it is to discern the truth. And of course, there are so many things acting up in each and every one of us that hinder us from recognizing that truth. If we want to understand what is Jesus calling us to do, we need to understand our identity in Christ and our relationship with, with him will greatly determine how we communicate our Christian experience with other people. If we don't understand those two things, if we don't get those two things right, we're not going to get it right. We, are not, we, are, we, are, we will continue to confuse people. So here's what I'm offering to you today. This particular model is a model that was helpful to me as I review or as I went through uh, each one of those gospels. I realized that Jesus is doing four things that are really, that are really powerful. His identity. He knows who he is. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. He is a beloved son. He knows his mission. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And he's not deviating from that mission. So, identity. Do you know your identity? Do you know who you are in Christ? And do you know how who you are in Christ impact the lives of those around you? So, identity is about understanding who you are. It's an intentional process of self-awareness and discovery. It's spending the time to understand, if you say that you carry the image of Christ, how is that image showing up in the world out there? The second one is integration. What are the spaces where you are interacting with other people? And how you interact in those spaces with other people? Every space requires a different way of navigation. Your personal space with God is very unique to you and God. Your space with your family, that's another way of navigating. It, it requires another level of navigation. But then you start going to school to a place like this that is a little bit more diversified. And then you get down to other places that are super diversified. So how do you navigate those spaces? How do you accommodate for things that don't are exactly the way that you, that you expect or the way that you think that they should be? How do you accommodate for, perce uh, for perceptions and knowledge that you don't have? Third one is intrinsic motivation. Jesus knew what his motivation was all the time, why he was here. For this I have come, to testify about the truth. What is your motivation? An influence. How do we influence? other. What is our message? Everybody has a message, and the message has one purpose, to build a church. What message are you carrying out there? One of my favorite books and one of my favorite stories is the one with Stanley Johns. Uh, Stanley Johns was a famous missionary to India back in the days, early 1900s, um, and Stanley Johns had several encounters with uh, Mahama Gandhi, and in one of those encounters, I think India back then was about 800 million people, uh, not the 1.2 billion people that we're seeing today. 
And Mahatma Gandhi, uh, uh, Stanley John asked Gandhi, what's it going to take for me to convert the whole entire country of India for Christ? And here's what Gandhi told him. Four things. I will suggest, first of all, that all of you Christians, missionaries, and all, begin to live more like Jesus Christ. Wow. That's Gandhi. That we should begin living more like Jesus Christ. So what that tells me is that even back then, the way that we were living, people could not see the real Christ in us. Second, he said, I will suggest that you must practice your religion without adultering or toning it down. It seems like people continue, back then, they were doing the same thing. They were just, you know, partially presenting uh, practices and behavior that did not correspond to the true image of Christ of what we were going, you know, what we were called to do. Third, I will suggest that you must put your emphasis upon love, for love is the center and soul of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For the son of God did not come to condemn the world but to save the world through himself. So Gandhi knew that. And lastly, he points out that we, if we really want to influence the culture around us, we need to understand the people around us. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to give up who you are in the process. This is not about assimilation or conformity. This is about understanding who the other are so that we can be more effective at communicating the Christ that we are claiming to have. And if you look at Jesus, how Jesus lived those four, you know, uh, those four little words there, God, God came to our history through Jesus, fully present in flesh, God among us. He had an identifiable image. So Jesus' identity was very clear. Jesus was approachable. He entered every single space. He, people have access to him. Jesus served through love and humility. That was his motivation. He knew what he needed to do. He used love, not power, as a tool to influence. And Jesus called people to respond, change and follow, and he initiated the gospel by the way that he was, just by his own you know, presence. So your identity the way that you integrate with others, your intrinsic motivation, and the way that you influence, all of those things should be grounded in Christ. So what should be your view of cultural differences? Simple. It should be the same view that God has about cultural differences. This is a God who created so many differences out there. This is a God that is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is a God that for whom all things in Jesus were created for him, through him, and in him. Therefore, we should have the same perspective that God has toward cultural differences. We are going to be entering a time 
where it's going to be very difficult for each and every one of us to reflect this image of Christ. In about a few months, we are going to have another election cycle, and uh, the polarization that we're experiencing today is going to be even more magnified. And it's going to be critical that we ourselves become a true example of the love of Jesus Christ to other people. If people cannot see Christ in you or Christ in me, they're not going to see it anywhere else. Because the media is not going to portray that for them. <clears throat> so what I want to do right now is I want to show you a clip from uh, a video that uh, you know, perhaps some of you have seen, where I probably have seen one of the most, um, one, one of the best reflection of uh, Christ-like behavior. And um, without any further ado, I'm just going to play that for you. If you can play it, that would be great. That young man represents a true image of Christ. That action, not just with word, but with action and in truth. Forgiveness and love. He has credibility. So what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness is me, right? So John 12, 44, read. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that not one, no one who believes in me shall stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does, uh, does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will, uh, spoken will condemn them in the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me command me to say all that I have spoken. I know that, this com that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I said is just what the Father has told me to say. We are not called to judge. We are not called to condemn. We are not called to point finger. We are called to love. We are called to forgiveness. We are called to do exactly what Jesus was doing. And the only way that we are going to know how to do that is if we are with him. Let me pray for you. Gracious Father, since we are created to grow in an intimate relationship with you, to know, love, enjoy, honor, and glorify you, through a Christ-centered orientation to every component of our lives, and through the mediating power of the Holy Spirit, help us and help others to experience the saving grace and eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. May each of us, as your church, come to a knowledge of the truth and experience a fresh revival in the Holy Spirit. As you recapture the heart of your people, may we become a unified community of believers which reflects your heart, live by faith, is known by love, and together strive to fulfill those two command commandments that we love one another as you have loved us, and that we go as you were sent by the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.